Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. Praise the Lord. The Bible says that Christ is our all in all, and he is all we need, and I thank God for that. I was reading recently, and I came across a statement that I thought was so powerful and so helpful. One made this statement, if Satan can convince Eve she's oppressed while she's living in the garden, then he can convince any of us that our blessings are actually burdens. I'm looking at a blessed people today living in a blessed land with abundance far beyond so many others than they'll ever see in this life. But yet, if we're not careful, we'll let our adversary think our blessings cause us to think our blessings are a curse. Now, I've lived that. God was at work in my life in different ways and has been these years, but right before a great victory was realized, I saw how the adversary tried to turn that blessing into a burden, to a curse, to a heaviness. Amazing, isn't it? He has a strategy. He comes at us from different angles and different, uh, different dynamics that he uses and things to try to discourage us, to deceive us. And we have to be mindful of that. He'll try to turn your blessing into a curse, but I'm thankful that there's a God in heaven who can actually turn our curse into a blessing. There are some burdens that we are carrying today. There are some things that are just heavy hard to bear, but God in heaven can take us where we are and bring good out of bad. He can bring a blessing out of a curse in our lives. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me in God's word this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, find your place here. First Samuel chapter 1 tells us of the birth of Samuel and Hannah's song of deliverance into chapter 2. And this book is about what God is doing rather than just a mere biography of Samuel or his family. His father, Elkanah, was a man whose name meant God chosen. Hannah's name means grace and Penina. Her name means pearl. So think about that as this story unfolds. The Bible says that Elkanah, he was a Levite, according to verse 23. He was a very faithful man. He went up annually, yearly, faithful to God, and appeared before the Lord with his family, as God had commanded all the men of Israel to do, to appear before the Lord three times a year. And uh, he was from an area that was just north of Jerusalem, 
an area known as uh, Ramathium, and uh, particularly uh, two different areas that could be designated because that literally means twin peaks. And uh, so he was in what is probably known as the modern Bet Rima, west of Shiloh, or less likely, as one writer said, the Rima that was five miles north of Jerusalem. But nevertheless, it was in this same area. Samuel also lived there, according to chapter 7 and verse 17, and was buried there as well, chapter 25 and verse 1. But uh, the Bible talks about his descendants here, the tribe of Ephraim. But then we get into verse 2, and the Bible says that he had two wives. God never condones polygamy. He always warns against it, commands against it, because God ordained marriage to be between one man and one woman. And God teaches us, though, here a valuable, valuable lesson. The Bible says this man, Elkanah, had two wives in verse 2. The first was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. But notice verse 2 here. The Bible says that Hannah had no children. Now, put this in the context of the day. Children were a sign of the blessing of God. Later on, he would try to comfort her and say, Am not I better to you than ten sons? Ten children would be a number of completion of the highest attainment of the blessing of God and rejoicing and contentment in the Lord. And yet here she was, burdened. Because she was barren. To her it would seem such a curse. Such a deep, deep disappointment. Not only just in life, but in herself. And this I believe is the heart of the Lord today for each of us. I wonder how many live with that kind of sense a depth of disappointment in themselves. Something that God has allowed, something that God has withholden for his own reasons, something that God has in our minds delayed. Yet something's wrong with me. What is wrong with me? Why can't God bless me, bless that person and the other? And why can't God use my life? He used them and that's all I ever wanted was for God to use me. I mean, what's wrong with me? My heart breaks for those whose hearts break today. Because something that God has allowed in their lives that has kept them back from what they desired, wanted, hoped for, prayed for, even lived she had no children, the Bible says. But if you think about this, you can understand again the context in verse 3 that this man went up out of his city yearly. Underline that, yearly. He was a faithful man. It speaks of his consistency. He was faithful to worship God, to serve God, to try to do the right thing. He went there to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Shiloh was about an hour north of Jerusalem. 
and it was there where the central sanctuary of the Israelites was during the pre-monarch period. And uh, there, even before the first temple was built in Jerusalem. And ultimately, this would give way and God would put his name and his house in Jerusalem. But here at this time, his house was in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. If you study this into chapter 2, you'll find that these were corrupt young men. They were dishonoring God, defiling the house of God, the people of God, the offerings and the service of God in every way. Eli would not deal with this sufficiently. Oh, he would chide them. Oh, he would say, you need to stop this. But he would never take the steps to say, no, you're not going to do this here. This is going to stop. I have to meet God with what's going on in his house, and this will happen no more. He stopped short of that. The boys continued in their sin. The people of God were grieved. The God of the people was grieved. Eli would honor his sons above his God, and it would cost him and his family everything, everything. Amazing. I wonder who or what are you honoring above God today? You say, well, as far as I know, I don't know anything. But if you're honoring someone or something that is out of the order that God has established in your life, you're not honoring the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 6 talks about that. That if you do not submit to the authority that God has placed over you, especially and particularly there, it would apply more specifically to the workplace. If you're not in full submission, full trust, full support, full honor in the right sense of the word, the Bible says you blaspheme the word of God. You dishonor the Lord. People think, no, I can honor the Lord, I can serve the Lord kind of in my own way, in my own lane, kind of keeping myself, doing my own thing. And I don't have to honor what God's put in my life, his order or his guidance or the people that he's put responsible over me, even those who are watching for my soul. I can kind of come and go as I want, do my own thing, live my own life, and it's okay. And sometimes we dishonor the Lord and don't even recognize it. I think it's amazing. And may the Lord open our eyes. But get this. God no doubt puts this in this verse so we would understand that Elkanah had a heart for God even though the things at the house of God were not altogether what they needed to be. Some people are always looking for some other reason to justify their lack of worship and service to God. And there's a fault here or there, and they'll highlight that. And that's why I don't serve God wholeheartedly in my own life. And we've got to be careful there. He knew that God would take care of Eli because Eli was the servant of the Lord. Eli was accountable to God. He knew that God would deal with that situation, but he also knew that he couldn't give account for another man and his family, but he had to give account to God for himself and his family. And that's what God wants us to see today. We're going to give account to God for our lives and for our loved ones. It's amazing. When you think about this, this chapter unfolds and you can basically outline it this way. Number one, the taunting of Penina. Number two, the tension of Eli. And then number three, the trust. The trust of Hannah. 
The Bible says in verse number four, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, this is the understanding that he had married Hannah, but she was bearing, could not bear an heir. And so he took another wife thinking, well, I've got to continue my family's name. So think about this again in the context of what's going on. Do you remember what happened back in Abraham's day when he leaned to his own understanding? It's amazing the things that we do when we get the mind that, hey, I've got to do what I've got to do. I've heard some men make this statement. Hey, preacher, you know a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And I've learned this lesson through these years of experience. There's a, a point to where that can be true, but that has to be sanctified. That means that has to be given to God. If you don't give it to God, you'll lean to your own understanding, no doubt at some point, and you'll make a decision thinking, hey, this is just what was before me. This is the way I saw it. This is what had to be done. He didn't know that there was a God in heaven who could intervene yet on Hannah's behalf. It's like, well, I thought he reverenced God. He did reverence God. Like many of us reverence God. We have a love for God, an acknowledgement of God in our lives. But do we think that God can intervene? in some kind of great challenge in our lives? Are we going to seek the Lord even as Hannah did? Or are we just going to try to figure it out on our own or fix it ourselves? Well, God's given us a mind and, and I can use my mind. Oh, listen, it has to be given back to God. It has to be sanctified, consecrated to the Lord. Oh, how many times... We walk by the fire that's kindled by the light of our own understanding. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 11 says when we do that, ultimately we lay down, we lie down in sorrow. Because human wisdom comes up short. Human refuges ultimately disappoint and fail. And so he gave her a portion because he loved her. But underline that. But the Lord had shut up her womb. Back in verse 2 it says, But Hannah had no children of being insufficient, perhaps in the way, of no use, no value. And yet her husband tries to reach out to her and says, But I do love you. You do have value to me. And I think we can miss that if we're not careful. Elkanah wasn't a perfect man. He obviously took matters into his own hands at, at a certain point and thought, well, this is what I have to do, and I'm going to do this sincerely. And he did it thinking that this was the route perhaps even the Lord would have him go. But he still truly loved Hannah, was loyal to her, and demonstrated that to her, knowing that she would struggle, and she was struggling because he gave portions to offer to Penina and to her children, each one per child, and then Hannah just gets the one. No children, no extra portions. I wonder who God has put in your life today. 
that you know is hurting, you know is struggling. And it just simply wants your spirit to be toward them in the midst of their imperfections and your own. You mean something to me. You mean something to me. Oh, if we're not careful, we're so busy doing what we've got to do or take care of in life and we overlook people. It's like, well, hey, it is what it is. Hey, that's just what God has chosen. Well, God's allowed this. When are you going to get over this? When are you going to grow up and act like... I tell you, people don't need our chiding oftentimes. They could use a little bit of acknowledgement in their lives. Because the Bible says her adversary, underline that in verse 6, her adversary, the tauntings up and on, her adversary also provoked her sore. Underline that sore. It has a thought of, I mean, just utterly, utterly. She was vexed to death. It was unbearable. I can't take it anymore. People don't even recognize when people are at that point. Do you have perception in life? Have you ever been there? If you've ever been there, you can appreciate someone being tired or weary, frustrated, confused, angry. You say, angry? I read with interest this week, someone put out a graph and it talked about different reasons people are angry and one of those was and I thought it was interesting that it's because they feel mocked under or unvalued neglected insufficient foolish in the way used even and it's created a frustration and angst and anger. See, oftentimes we don't want to get to the heart of something. Now, I'm glad we have a God who does, aren't you? Because <laughs> only when you get to the root and deal with it there can it be thoroughly and rightly dealt with. But we're just going on about this person's attitude and this person's situation and this person's response. And I'm not justing, uh, justifying wrong attitudes or wrong response. But do we ever stop sometimes and Wonder, does this person need prayer? Does this person need some kind of encouragement or help? Are they going through a tough time that has just caused them to feel a sense of dread and despair within? And yet I have the power to say something, to do something, to lift that, but I refuse to see that. That's why I don't say anything that would build up. I just keep ignoring and letting them hang out there. You know, the Bible says death and life are in the power of the what? You can help someone more than you realize. You have more power than you think. Someone that loves you, looks to you, confides in you, respects you, has a regard for you. Think about how you can literally speak life into them. 
But then think about the opposite. How you can speak death, death into someone's spirit. Growing up like I did, I, I've been on the receiving end of that to where it's just like life is, is one to something to despair. Because you're nothing, you're nobody, you'll never be anything, you'll never go anywhere, you'll never do anything with your life. You're burdened, you're in my way, you're holding me back, you're trouble for me. And I'm amazed at how many people live their lives with that kind of sense within. But it's not just because of how others treat them, but sometimes because of the circumstances of life that God's allowed. Oh, I'm so glad this chapter doesn't end right here, aren't you? <laughs> because this is how the adversary works with us to taunt us. To The word is provoked here in verse 6. It literally means to trouble, to vex, to grieve. To vex us, to frustrate us time and time again. What's wrong with you? You are not enough. You will never be enough. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how much you give. It will never be good enough. That's what our adversary wants us to believe. And I am so heartbroken over those who end up believing such a lie and they forget to remember. Think about that. You forget to remember, right? You forget to remember that there's a God in heaven who teaches us that the voice you listen to today will determine the kind of life you live tomorrow. Are you going to listen to God or are you going to listen to his adversary? Whether it be the taunts of Satan himself, as it were, in spiritual warfare or working through others in your life that should be someone that is close, someone that is understanding, someone that is empathetic, sympathetic towards you, but yet huh, is exactly opposite. That's where Hannah was. The Bible says her adversary provoked her sore for to make her fret. Because the Lord, there it is again, the Lord had shut up her womb. Underline that something sovereignly, providentially, she could not help. She could not change. It was not something she chose. It was not something that she did to herself. I marvel at the people who've not hurt deeply in life. I'm thankful in many ways that you haven't. But I can say after all these years, especially with what God has called me to do, I'm thankful that I have. It's taught me a lot about God. It's taught me a lot about life. It's taught me a lot about people. People who've never hurt that much or tend to be judgmental, I've learned. Even somewhat self-righteous. <laughs> I don't know what his problem is or what her problem is. Obviously, God blessed me, but God couldn't bless him or her for some reason. God only knows what it is, but he does know that there's got to be a reason he can't bless them like he's blessed someone like me. It's amazing. A spirit of condemnation, a spirit of judgmentalism, a spirit of Phariseeism, as though I deserved to have a good life. Friend... If we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here today. Isn't that right? God, help us to have a heart for him and other people rather than to heap on them when they're hurting, when they're struggling. 
to try to just pounce on them and pound on them and bury them. That's the spirit of the adversary, Satan himself. The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. To accuse, to condemn, to just pounce and pound upon and ultimately finish off. See there, I was right. You were wrong. You weren't worth anything. God couldn't bless you. Let me ask you, do you treat people that way? Is that the sense that people get when they interact with you? That you're something, you're somebody, God has blessed you because you have been so deserving or because you did this and didn't do that and look at all that God's done in some people. I mean, hey, what can I say? I heard this about them or I heard that. Oh, yeah, and if you ever talk to them, you'll see that. Is that really the attitude you have? You know, some people are so... Insecure, they find their security in their self-righteousness. God had to bless me, didn't he? I mean, I made the right choices. I, I didn't do what some of these others have done. Now, they've got what they deserve, but me, I mean, I guess he's given me what I deserve. May God pull the veil back and show us how desperately we all need him but how we all need each other. The Bible says, who are you to condemn your brother? Who are you to cast stones? Who are you to be the judge and put yourself in the place of God as though, well, I deserved this, I guess. I wouldn't say it that way, but deep down, that's the way I see it. But then they obviously didn't deserve it. They're kind of getting what they deserve. They made their bed or they just weren't what I was or what other people are and whatever God saw in them. I'm telling you, friend, we better get off of that. We better get off of that. Because there's a lot of people who could use your heart, your love, your encouragement, your words of life than you could ever imagine. I mean, she was so vexed. And by the way, and we'll see this, and I'm just put it all together here. Those who don't understand, don't value, don't appreciate what God has allowed in our lives, they do not limit us ultimately. And I'm glad for that, aren't you? God hears the cries of his children ultimately. The taunting of Penina is like our adversary, even when they were going up to the house of the Lord, even on our way to church, as it were. It doesn't matter. On your way to church, in church, wherever else, the adversary's talking it down, trying to talk you out of trusting God. The Bible says, and as he did so year by year in verse 7, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Rather than saying, I am so sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Or I notice you're, you haven't eaten anything. I prepared this for you. Would you please eat something? It's like, I don't know how to deal with that. I didn't grow up like that. I, I, I didn't face any of that. I don't know what their problem is. Hands off. You know, that's what burdens me about the church in this hour. Our community is hurting, but so many churches are filled with so many self-righteous people that it's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm not going to do anything. Hey, let's go out to eat. Let's go enjoy our lives. 
Let's keep to ourselves. We just keep to ourselves because all those bad people out there that are hurting, you know, it's a reason. There's always a reason if someone's hurting, especially in modern-day America to where we have such abundance. If they would just work and they'd take care of themselves, they wouldn't struggle so or they wouldn't have some of those issues. Isn't it amazing how we can be so condemning and so judgmental? Would you ever think that person's hungry? I wonder if I could fix them a meal. I guess I could. I just need to do it. I don't have to ask them. Take it to them. Could I just in some practical way show them the love of God? Oh, the taunting. Oh, if I just stopped there, if this is all that we covered. The taunting. Who is the taunted and who is the taunter today? <laughs> Who's the one doing the taunting? Then Elkanah, her husband, or said Elkanah, her husband, her in verse 8, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? The thought is broken up. You're just so brokenhearted. Am I not better to thee than ten sons? And here's the thought. She was at a place to where it's like nothing can make up for what God has withheld into my life. I just have to trust God with this. Let me ask you this morning, what has God withholding from you? And I say it with as, as much as I can with the compassion of Jesus Christ. If people were in your shoes, what kind of hurt would they feel right now? The misgivings, the self-doubt, the self-condemnation, the way people sometimes ignore you or leave you out or overlook you or act like... And yet you bear that. And you just keep coming back. I want to say today, God bless you. God bless you. There's a God in heaven who has a heart for his children. Especially those who are hurting. Especially those who are providentially in a place to where they have no other choice but to trust him. And keep going. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know. I'd fix it if I could. I would change it if I could. But, but I'm doing what I can do. I have to trust God with what I can't do. I say to you today, keep trusting God. Keep trusting God to do what you can to help you with that. And then trusting Him to do what you can't. I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who can turn this thing around. I won't take time to labor it here, but just to wrap it up. You remember she went before the Lord? Think about it. She was provoked in verse 6. She was grieved in verse 8. She was in bitterness of soul, unsettled, anxious, even angry is the thought in verse 10. The Bible says she had a sorrowful spirit in verse 15. But then... The Bible says, as a result of this, think about it. Let all those things that people do sometimes, and even what God has allowed providentially in your life that you don't understand, that you have a hard time dealing with, let all that drive you to the Lord to humble you, not to harden you and drive you away. She let all that drive her to the Lord. And the Bible says she poured out, verse 15, poured out her soul before the Lord. She spilled it all out upon the altar. The thought is to gush 
to expend. I poured my whole heart out to God and I gave it to him. And I'm just going to trust him with it. If you know the story, a little bit later, a little boy came along. And she said, you know, this child I, I prayed for, I asked the Lord for. And as God has given him to me, I'm going to give this child back to the Lord that God would bless him and use him. That's a whole other message about the depth of consecration, separation unto the Lord. She purposed in her heart for that little boy because God had heard her prayer. And I don't know where you're at today, but I want to tell you, there's a God in heaven who hears your prayers. Others may, you may feel because of your circumstance in life, because of the treatment of others, that your life has very little to no meaning, even no value at times, like you're worthless, like something's wrong with you. You're flawed. God can't use someone like me. God can't fix me. I'll tell you what, all those people who think they need no fixing are broken too. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. There's not a good church-going crowd in Union County today. And then all those... Uh, Non-church-going people. We're all in the same boat. We're all lost and undone without Jesus Christ. And we must be saved and exchange our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? I wonder if we started seeing each other in that light. You've been declared righteous. You've been declared innocent, not guilty. God has fixed you, as it were. God has brought healing into your soul. By his stripes, we are healed. Think about that. God has done a work in your life. What did he say to Peter, he said, don't call unclean what God has called clean. Let's not look at each other and compare ourselves among ourselves and who is worthy or not, who is deserving or not, or why has this happened? Why is God withholding this from this person? I've got my ideas. Let's move beyond that. Let's grow in the Lord and in our understanding that apart from his goodness and grace, we wouldn't be where we are with the blessings that we enjoy. And therefore, as God's blessed me, he's blessed me to be a blessing. I'm going to bless somebody else this week. And you know who God is drawn to? Not the self-righteous. Read about the Pharisees. His take on them. God is drawn, the Bible says, he's even nigh to the brokenhearted. Those who are broken who yet say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I've carried this so long. Oh, God, I feel so worthless at times. I feel like my life is just... It doesn't have any value or any meaning. Whatever you may be grappling with, you can give that to the God of heaven, pouring your whole heart out even to him, and he hears such cries. Psalm 34 says that the righteous crieth unto the Lord, and the Lord heareth them. Aren't you glad God hears our cry? God is faithful. Oh, what a wonderful story. And just look there at verse 19. It says, And the Lord remembered her. God remembered Hannah. Her heart, her prayer, her faith. Her sorrows, her brokenness, her mockery, her taunting. 
how she was treated contemptuously, so devalued by some. For those who seem to mean so little, if anything, to others, mean everything to our God. They may fail, they may forsake, they may forget, but the Bible says the Lord remembered her. God will not forget you. God knows who you are and where you're at. Isn't that wonderful? And thank God he takes us where we're at. Takes us for who we are, where we've been, what we face, our faults, our flaws, our sins, our wounds, our insufficiencies. He takes it all. And we give that in exchange for his goodness, his grace, his righteousness. Isn't that wonderful today? And all of God's people said, let's stand with our heads bowed. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church, located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.